Okay. <clears throat> Let's go. <laughs> that was amazing. What a play. That's exactly what he needed. Whew, is it getting hot in here or what? This is genius. He created another card on the stack. Oh, wow. He's been We're given attacking. a good game. That trophy is up for grabs. Magic does not get better than this. Everybody and welcome to Desk After Dark, the inaugural episode. I'm Maria Bartholdi. I've got Monty Davuti here uh, joining me for Dadcast, which is what we're calling it, kind of casually between the two of us. How are you doing, Monty? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm glad to be doing this. I know we talked about it, you know, kind of offhand, like, oh yeah, that would be fun, but like to actually get together and do it is pretty sweet. Yeah, I agree. Everybody, we're so excited to be able to do this show for you. What it is, because hello, welcome to episode one. We'll give you a little bit of an intro here. We were talking about doing the show because we wanted to give people kind of a behind the scenes look at magic event coverage, what that world is like, what it takes to put together a show, which it, the answer is spoiler alert, quite a lot, uh, but we wanted to break it down for you. Uh, what it's like to do do events, what it's like to be at events, our thoughts on past and future events, that kind of thing, and just talking about how events go after they happen. Um, this was your idea, Mani. So what were your thoughts initially behind why you wanted to create uh, Desk After Dark? I've always felt like there's, you know, it's like an iceberg where like what the show actually is and what people see on Twitch is like, 10% of what actually goes into putting out magic coverage. So magic coverage is this, this giant unknown enigma of, well, viewers are used to seeing the final product, but how the sausage is made is never really revealed. So I, I think everybody has their own assumptions of how things works, how things happen, how we get to that end result. But there's a lot of hard work that goes into it behind the scenes and nobody ever really gets a glimpse of that. And I know that when I wasn't involved in coverage, I, I was always curious how things worked. So once I'm in this position where I'm doing it, I'm like, I want to help shed some light and get people a little more knowledge about what actually happens behind the scenes because you know, I'm sure there's some nerds out there like me that would be interested in what actually goes into putting on these shows. Absolutely. If you're, if Monty from the past listens to this show, then he will understand. You know what I mean? Just need to time travel. Yeah, I would never get involved in that. <laughs> Run! <laughs> Uh, so we're going to let all of you nerds that are like Monty or like me out there know what it's actually like to do magic coverage and how the sausage is made, which they tell you never to look at, but uh, we're going to look at it. But don't worry, <laughs> we're going to hold your hands while we look at it, so hopefully it won't be that scary. <laughs> uh, we're going to post this show, by the way, in the Good Luck High Five feed, so you won't have to go looking for it every time that it happens. Speaking of every time that it happens, when are we doing this show, Monty? We're hoping to put an episode out every, after every major tournament. So, you know, that's the World Championships that just happened, as well as every Pro Tour, hopefully. Uh, you know, we may increase the frequency. Probably won't decrease the frequency, but we may put out some supplemental episodes here and there. But the goal is after each big show, we put out an episode where we sort of wrap up the show, our thoughts about 
that show and maybe do a review of all of the smaller shows like the arena championships or the mocks or the regional championships, whatever has happened during the time since the last episode. Um, so it's really going to be timed based on the big events that are happening, but by no means are the shows focused on just that event. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think it's something that's going to be really cool too, is that we have video of this show available as well that you can check out on youtube.com slash good luck high five living over there. If you want to see our faces and not just hear our beautiful, lovely voices, <laughs> which I mean is what you'd be used to if you watch magic coverage is seeing us talk instead of just hearing us talk. So we've got two ways for you to find the show. Um, we hope that we'll, we'll be able to have guests on the show in the future and that kind of thing to talk more about various areas of magic coverage, perhaps some fa- famous uh, magic personalities want to come on mm-hmm. and chat with you too. Um, and we'll want to take your questions too, because this, like Mani said, like you said, like this is about opening the curtain and saying, this is what it's like to produce an event like this. This is what coverage is like. This is what a pro tour is like. And so we want to make sure we're answering your questions. So for this first episode, we both tweeted this out. I put it in Good Luck High Five's Discord, asking for questions from anybody. And we'll see how many we get to. But be uh, like, feel free to just, you know, tweet at us or whatever, any, however you want to get a hold of us at any point. If you have another question that comes to you and you want to make sure we don't forget it because we can keep that under our hat for the next episode. All right, Monty, how are you feeling? I, I'm feeling good. I'm excited to, you know, just chat. I think it, you and I, when we're on the desks, there's a bit of a time crunch yeah. uh, as well. Yes. I'm sure talk about more. <laughs> throughout um this show so being sort of not unhinged but allowed to just relax and take things at our own pace feels nice to just relax and chat yeah yeah i like that relax and chat well i'm gonna get a little unhinged so i'm gonna warn you about that right right Uh, now so close Okay, before we dive into everything, just to get these questions um, out of the way off the top, um, I know the number one thing I get asked is how I got into doing coverage. So um, I'm going to start with Monty's answer to that question. I asked you this actually not that long ago, Monty. You did. And I, I had an answer. So near the start of the pandemic, that's about two and a half years ago now at this point, um, Everything had kind of shut down, uh, and there was a big question of what is replacing this void that had just been left by paper magic. Um, and there was a lot of scrambling going around to just do things because everybody is stuck at home and everybody's craving some sort of competition. The existing systems weren't meant to support this, so... It's about this time the Channel Fireball starts doing um, their Grand Prix at home, uh, which for anybody that missed it or doesn't remember because you've decided to block out the entire pandemic and it's just a two-year <laughs> void. Uh, I've, done, I've done that a fair amount, I can tell you. <laughs> they started doing like weekly events at the end of the week on the weekends that resembled almost a Grand Prix, but the demand to join, of course, would be too high. So they had qualifiers running for them throughout the week. And these qualifiers were essentially running 24 hours a day um, with very little break. 
Um, and something cool the Channel Fireball did was they had commentary and casting for these. They broadcast all the qualifiers on their Twitch channel. And the result of this was you saw a lot of magic personalities, faces, uh, taking part in these members of Team Chow Fireball, professionals, but also streamers, cosplayers, people just tangentially in the community um, were starting to do some sort of commentary block for these. So there was a lot of commentary and a lot of events to be commentated. And I had been doing some commentary on the side for myself as part of events that I was running as a tournament organizer at the time. I thought you were just going to be like, oh, I was just doing it for myself, like my day-to-day life. Yeah, you know, I was just just walking around commentating out loud. (laughs) Now we see that he's brushing his teeth. Uh, Nature documentary style. Yeah. (laughs) And I'd always wanted to do commentary. So when I noticed that, this was happening, I reached out to Martin Juza and I asked him because he was a member of Team Channel Fireball if he had a contact that he could maybe put a good word in for me to try to get my chance at commentating um, an event or two. And Martin said, sure. And one day at 3.30 in the morning, uh, Martin messaged me asking me if I still wanted (laughs) to try commentary. Um, And me being the person that I am, which is a complete night owl, uh, I'm wide awake. uh, And I asked him when he was thinking about it. And he's like, now, like the event starts at about 30 (laughs) minutes or so. Great, great. (laughs) And, you know, I was actually playing in that event. Um, What many people may not know was I was playing in that event. And I told Marta, I'm like, I'm already playing in this event. Is that going to be okay? He's like, oh, yeah, they don't mind. It won't be a problem. So 3.30 in the morning, I (laughs) change, like, quickly, just, like, wash my face, get myself, like, somewhat presentable. (laughs) Um, And I hop on camera to do commentary of a tournament that I'm playing in alongside Martin Juza in front of the entire, I assume, Europe-based audience. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes shockingly well, considering the time and the double queuing. Um, Oh, so you were actually physically playing at the same time you were commentating. Oh, yeah. No, I was looking at (laughs) one game that I was focusing on playing while also commentating a separate game on a side screen. Hold on. That's about the (laughs) hardest thing that I've ever heard anybody talk about. Did you win that game, Monty? I did not do particularly well in that (laughs) tournament, uh, I I will say. Uh, All right, fair enough. I won some games. Like It it wasn't a complete disaster, but I, I was focused a little more on the commentary. And again, I made it clear that this, like, I was double queue. I didn't try to hide it from Child Fireball by any means. But it was 3.30 in the morning. They <laughs> needed someone to just do it. Just do it, yeah. Um, and that went well. And then I was asked back to do more events. Um, and through doing some events for Child Fireball, I got onto the radar of Wizards. Um, and Paul Chion reached out to me and asked me to do a trial run um, for... I believe the players tour finals and that led into more work with wizards. And by the Zendikar rising championship, I sort of became a full-time addition to the unofficial commentary team. 
Wow, that's an awesome story. I can't believe you played and commentated in your first ever commentary <laughs> gig. That is absolute madman behavior, Monty, and I love you for it. Um, really set the pace for the rest of the career right there. Seriously. Like, let's just roll with whatever happens. Oh, my God. Okay, so good luck, High Five listeners. You might know my own answer to this question. I'll give you the very short version just in case you do. Um, yeah, so I'd been doing the Good Luck High Five podcast for a while, and Megan and I put out a podcast, which was one of our most famous ones called Psy, where we talked about um, women in magic, and we essentially called on Wizards of the Coast to put more representation in their uh, official commentary. And after we made that episode, um, and it was based off of an article Megan had written as well, uh, we got contacted by Wizards of the Coast, and they said, hey, we heard your episode, we saw your article, what can we do? So that was fantastic of them. I just want to put that out there. And we said, well you could hire some women and they're like, all right, who do you know? <laughs> and we're like, okay, well, we're tapped into the community. So we gave them a bunch of names. And after the, we gave them a bunch of names, we were like, and also you could throw our names into the hat. <laughs> you know, we, we've been doing, you know, the podcast for a while and I've worked in radio and television production my whole career. So, you know, it's, if you're interested in us, here we are for you. And then eventually not too long after that, we were hired, we started doing events, I started as a floor spotter at Pro Tour Milwaukee back in the day and at some Grand Prix where I would just look at cards in hand and enter them into an iPad. And let me tell you, for somebody who didn't play uh, older formats at that time, it was a challenge <laughs> knowing what some of those cards and lands were. Uh, but you learn fast. You learn fast. And eventually I became a play-by-play person. Um, I did a lot of Grand Prix, sometimes traveling two to three weekends a month doing that, and then moved on to the desk, the news desk eventually with with rich hagan and he showed me the ropes and uh now the news desk is where i live and that's why this show is called desk after dark um and also it just sounds funny uh (laughs) the desk is dark now i suppose since we're not currently doing an event um but yeah so that's that's how i got involved which is a little bit of a roundabout way i can't say that's gonna work for everybody but (laughs) it worked the one time (laughs) and it was important I think right now we definitely, you know, we see a lot more um, non-male faces in commentary than we used to. Um, oh, yeah. And, it, it, you know, almost taking it for granted at this point right now, you're really the face of the desk and always the host of the broadcast. But I think a lot of people don't really remember the time before that where we didn't have yourself, Melissa, Gabby, Jackie, hi you, uh, and all these faces on these broadcasts. Yeah, I think it, it was a, you know, I've talked about this on other shows and stuff where I talk about how difficult it was after we'd made that episode. Um, we got so much harassment online after that. It was probably the t- hardest two weeks of my life <laughs> after we made that, you know, and of course I made it my mission to educate everybody as to why this was important and why we could be a value add to uh, something like a magic broadcast. I'm so thankful now that looking back on that time, I can say that how far we've come, obviously still a ways to go, but I feel so much better about the state of coverage now than I did then and people's reaction to it too. They aren't just coming into chat and screaming about how they like don't want somebody there because they're a woman or whatever, you know. I think the community has grown up a lot in just a few years as well, uh, right along with coverage. And I think a lot of people have learned that, wow, when you increase diversity, you're increasing the strength of the broadcast, it's a better product 
period, in my opinion. And um, that's because we have diverse viewpoints um, being added to the show. And I think that's, I don't know, I just think that's really great that that's kind of a lesson we can collectively learn and see the truth of at the same time in this microcosm of the product that we're putting out here in Magic the Gathering. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's me. I'll get off my stump now. <laughs> no, just stay right up there. Okay, I will. It's a nice <laughs> treat. <laughs> Something we wanted to do here with this first episode was take a look back on the arena coverage era of magic, which was a really unique and interesting time in the history of magic coverage and that we both lived through kind of in really different ways, which I think is really interesting. Um, so, of course, we we moved to arena coverage when we started the MPL and the Rivals League and that kind of thing. And we started having weekly competition within those leagues that was played exclusively on arena. We had a, uh, the big tournaments played on arena, like the World Championship um, and that kind of thing. And then, of course, we had that multiplied times 100 once we hit the pandemic and everything had to be arena. There was no thought of having a paper event anymore. And um, just speaking personally, I had only, you know, mostly just worked paper tournaments and a few arena tournaments here and there. But the transition to going to full arena coverage 100% was a, a pretty scary time for for being a Magic um, commentator because we didn't know what was going to happen, right? <laughs> we were like... Uh, so we've got a pandemic. Are there going to be events? How are people going to qualify for things? How are we playing things? What's going to happen? Um, and it, we talked about it on Good Luck High Five at the time, too. We were pretty scared. We didn't know where we were going to get money from because <laughs> that was our job. Like we did it so much, so much. Then, like I said, we were traveling to Grand Prix three weekends a month sometimes, you know. So it was a it was a pretty scary time. Um but then we transitioned to doing the events remotely, which was great. We had an opportunity to still cover events in the way that was possible to us during the pandemic. And we had some growing pains at the start, of course, like any new technology would, in getting things to work correctly between the however many people were working at any given event at any given moment. Um, and <laughs> there, was, there was definitely some kinks to work out in the system. But I can confidently say... That by the time we were done, like doing our last kind of arena event that was fully virtual, I felt so good and confident about it compared to where we had started just a couple of years earlier. And I had learned so many things, so many tips and tricks that translated to when we got back to in person at this uh, world championship that we just came from um, that made, I think, me a better commentator because of what I went through working remotely. But Moni, you started in the arena coverage era. That was where you began. You had no experience covering paper. Yeah, I, you know, I've watched years of magic coverage. I loved coverage. I absorbed coverage. I always wanted to be part of coverage, but my opportunity didn't come until arena. So for me, there was no transition period so much as it was learning everything through doing arena coverage and there was a lot to get used to. Um, I was running my own events as I mentioned initially. So I was trying to figure out how to do commentary um, for arena. Uh, you know, it became pretty clear, I think to all of us kind of early on that we probably weren't going to get a spectator mode to work with. Um, and 
you know, once you accept that reality, however, I, I think it's safe to say disappointing it was for all of us as commentators. Um, that was the reality and we had to work with it. So starting to find workarounds with Discord, with screen shares, with captures, and then how that translates to the broadcast, um, that took a lot of trial and error. I think all the TOs at the time um, were trying to figure out what the best way to do this is. Um, and then for the commentators, of course, figuring that out as well, uh, there was a lot of timing stuff to figure out because of subtle delays in using different programs, whether it be Discord, Skype, uh, vMix. Uh, we've used so many. Gosh, Monty, you're just <laughs> reminding me right now. I'm like, oh, yeah, we did some of these over Skype. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we uh, we had so much to learn. Everybody learned so much about we how to do Skype. this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, it, it's kind of wild to imagine how many different iterations commentary went through during the arena period. And as you mentioned, you know, we had this uncertainty the whole time, even for me getting into it, it was uncertain because I think everybody knew that the pandemic era of magic was not going to last forever. Um, but because of the nature of competitive play, which is you need a system, you need something to progress towards, something that builds a storyline that goes from event to event leading into an end of year event, you can't just fully play it by ear. Uh, but the result was we had a lot of temporary systems, right? The uh, wizards, from what it seemed like, didn't want to commit to this is the new organized play structure because they didn't want to put something into effect that extended past the pandemic. Everybody wanted to return to normalcy as soon as possible. Right. But so how could, how could anybody know what was going to happen? <laughs> right. So you have to schedule chunks. It's all right, we'll do this season and then see what happens. And hopefully we'll be able to go back to paper. Oh, no, there's the Omicron variant. It looks like the pandemic is going to be extended for a while. All right, let's do another season on Arena. And that's the pivot. And it, the result was uh, organized play kept changing because, of course, growing pains of trying to figure out a system that is both temporary and makes logistical sense and i think by the last year of um the arena play the one that we had this previous season that resulted in the world championships in las vegas i i think a lot of things were figured out the right way and the tournaments were the best iteration that we got and sort of the best we could hope for when we're looking at a self-contained year that isn't going to have lasting impacts on competitive play because nobody wanted it to be permanent. Everyone wanted to, to serve the purpose of transitioning us from one year to the next until we can get out of the pandemic and back to normalcy. What was it like for you starting in... Um with doing 100% virtual events. So players playing on arena and also you are working, you know, like you mentioned with, with Martin remotely. Again, I hadn't worked in coverage before then, but I'd watched a lot of coverage. And one of, I think the mainstays of coverage is not 
fully being able to see what's going on, right? There's glare and there's players shuffling their hands and has been kept face out on the table. So there's like some element of unknown information for the casters that I had gotten used to watching magic coverage. And I started in the arena era. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I can see everything. You know, everything. <laughs> like it, it feels so powerful to have that much information as a caster. Like I felt like I could just talk about everything because it was all very available. And I definitely took it for granted how easy it felt like it was to commentate on these events because I didn't have to go through extra steps of trying to process what exists first and then talk about it. I could just see it and talk about it. That's a great um, point. You have all of the information, both players' hands. Everything is very clear and easy to see. If you don't know something, you could look it up because you're in front of a computer with like three screens or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> and I have a question for you. Do you ever feel like it's a downside that you know both players' hands? Definitely. Mm. Uh, I think something that I wasn't great at starting out, I don't know if anybody is in the expert positions especially, is trying to commentate on the game as if you're in a player's seat without information of the other player's seat. And yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things that is like the difference between a good commentator and a great commentator is the ability to be talking about lines and plays and whatever with the fog of war of the opponent's hand not being known. Right. Uh, because... As a commentator, I think my goal is to try to convey to the audience what is going through the player's mind in that seat. And I can't have those thoughts if I'm being biased by what my opponent has, because knowing what the opponent has, there's usually one correct play. There's no, okay, well, these are the options available. It's like, this is the correct play. That is what comes from zero hidden information. So to present different lines requires you to put a mask over what the opponent's hand is. And that was a big challenge for me, was going from a player of knowing just my hand and my options available to a commentator and still trying to maintain that. Gosh, I found that too when I, I cast a couple of the um, MPL weekly play leagues um right before the pandemic happened and um it was just very it was bizarre to me because i hadn't done a lot of play-by-play -play in the arena era maybe i had actually done none that was maybe the only time i did it so i was used to paper play-by-play -play, and i kept just wanting to just cover up the other player's hand to like <laughs> what everything that you said but also because i wanted to be surprised about what was <laughs> going to happen i wanted to be the player that we were watching right i would be like oh no they had it all they had it right um but when you're on arena you oh you know they have it unless they draw it then that's the exciting part but uh <laughs> yeah that's just an interesting thing that i don't think um we ever like took into consideration when we started this brand new way of uh taking a look at magic games from the commentary perspective but Monty, i i should have asked you this earlier but the question is now just sitting in my brain so i'm going to ask you it now why did you want to do coverage 
I don't know if you know this about me. I like to talk <laughs> a lot. Uh, that's, you know, almost to a fault. Um, I, I've always just really liked talking and having discussions about things I'm passionate about. And commentary to me is sort of the ultimate discussion about magic. It's just, I get to pair up with somebody and just talk about interesting magic. And watching old Pro Tours, I think the very first bit of coverage I watched was like Pro Tour Kyoto 2009. And like just watching the work that was being done, the event that was being brought, it looked like the perfect marriage of the game that I love playing and talking, which I love doing. Uh, so it was kind of always this like almost unattainable goal of mine to one day be the person in the position that can talk about magic and uh, just have those conversations because it just feels so fun and natural. Why does it, why is it interesting? I don't know. It's, you know, magic as a game is so complex, right? That when you look at any individual play, it's possible to have a discussion about that play for depending on the play, like minutes to hours to years to years. Let's get real. (laughs) There's magic players still talking about stuff. Something 20 years ago. (laughs) And and it's like, you know, in in normal conversation, I always found my friends would get sick of me trying to like, (laughs) it's like, Monty, it's been an hour. We're in a different draft and you're still talking about that one line from the draft we did before with another deck. And it's like, yeah, I, I love that. I love dissecting something. And in coverage, dissecting what the best players in the game are doing is kind of the coolest thing because they're playing at a level that you just can't even comprehend when you're first starting out. And it's like dissecting that is it leaves room for all of that discussion. And I don't know, it just, it's so fun. You know, I'm going to use what you said a little bit earlier to kind of like parlay into this next bit here. But uh, when you're we talking about um, watching the, the Pro Tour Kyoto back in the day, man, did I love watching Pro Tours. Every time one came on, I was just a baby Magic player. Like I didn't play even some of the formats that I was watching, but it was like the greatest day, right? I just put it up on my TV, got a bunch of pizza rolls, put them in the oven, had the best day of my life camped out on my couch watching that all weekend long, playing Magic Online along with it, I'm sure. Um, and I just has, I just have such warm, lovely memories of that time that I think I'm, that's why I'm so excited uh, for a return to paper play here coming up when we can bring this, that spirit back to the game. And I think a lot of people are excited about that too. So looking ahead to moving towards paper play, what are you thinking about, Monty, as we make this transition? Philly will be the first big paper PT in the first time in a long time. 
It, you know, I've I started in the arena era. I've started getting some reps with paper events under my belt. Um, I've been doing some random SCG coverage. Uh, I did the arena, not arena championship, excuse me, the regional championship in Atlanta just this past weekend. Um, so I've started doing some paper play just to help myself acclimate. Uh, it's weird. It is <laughs> so different moving yeah. back to that after having spent two years trying to get adjusted and used to doing this in arena. Um, and it's definitely daunting. I think one of the things that has changed a lot since the last time we saw paper is just the sheer number of printings of different cards and secret layers and arts and trying to be aware of exactly what is being played. It's to me, it's daunting. Um, it makes me appreciative for open deckless events and events where we have, at least we have access to deckless because at least we can narrow down what something is to a much smaller pool and eliminate some of the guesswork. But at the same time, I'm so excited for the challenge because I know I, I've always been an online magic enthusiast. So for me, paper isn't the biggest deal. But I know for a lot of people, it is. For a lot of viewers, the difference between paper and online is night and day. It's They go from zero interest watching the same level of magic played out on Arena to ravenous interest watching it in paper. And getting to bring that joy back to people is something that I'm really excited for. It, that excites me and drives me to be more motivated to do a good job on paper just because I know how much that coverage means to people. I've got to say, Bonnie, it is a treat for me to talk to somebody who it feels like from listening to you ha has achieved their life goals. <laughs> I mean... You just, the way you you talk about doing this job, it's like, you're like, hello, I've reached the top of the mountain. I mean, do you, do you feel like that? Am I like putting something on you here? No, like, I think it's kind of true that even when I was competing, I always, my dream was to do commentary. So right now I feel like for the last two years, I've sort of been living my dream. And by doing Pro Tours and by doing the World Championship, I, I've commentated at the highest level of magic. So in a way, it does feel like I have reached my dream. But at the same time, it's, it's ongoing. It, it's one of those things where as long as I get to do coverage, I'm continuing to live that dream. And I just want to make the most of it for as long as I get the opportunity to do so. So it, it it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where I'm definitely riding a high every time I'm involved with a show because of how much fulfillment I get out of it and how happy I am just to be there and involved in that event. Yeah, I think the happiness is palpable to anybody watching you do it. 
Um, and it just, it comes through the screen and affects them, which is always kind of my, that's kind of my hope whenever I'm doing coverage is that hopefully I can make people feel welcome and happy and just kind of a warm feeling of when we're watching this, this, the best game in the world, you know? Um, and I, hopefully that translates <laughs> when you're watching at home. That's that's what I hope to bring. Um, and I think when we get back to paper, it's going to be even more true because of that's the same way people feel, I think, generally about playing paper magic a lot of the time. Like when we got back to the gathering, when stores started having pre-release events again in person, it was just like everybody's like this giant collective sigh of, oh, yes, finally, you know, we get back to one of the best parts of magic. And being on a pro tour and walking into the venue, hundreds of players there, right? There's no substitute for it. You can't. Uh, the the feeling of everybody's excitement just buzzing around the room all the time when you walk in that first morning when the first packs are cracked for draft is just electric and walking around the top tables and seeing the players play. I mean, Monty, I'm so excited for you to experience it because, I mean, you've been there, you played in one, but coming out and being able to walk around and just like look at everything and kind of have free reign access to go into the feature match area and peek over players' shoulders is is really uh, like nothing else. Um, so I think that's what I'm, I'm excited to bring that back to people when we get back to paper again is conveying the excitement and the electricity of the room that we're in. And of course working in person again, like we did at the last world championship with co-commentators so much better <laughs> than virtual. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, the, so yeah. The feeling of being connected, um, both with the community, just seeing the players like we do, we did in Vegas, uh, and seeing each other. It, it's really not replicatable in the at home broadcasts. The, you know, there was some level of comfort involved with doing a remote broadcast, but it didn't have the same feeling. Uh, when I did Vegas, that was my first in-person show. I didn't think the change in how I would feel about it would be as noticeable as it was for me, just that feeling of being in the same room with you and Cedric and all of our co-commentators. Um, it, it was just night and day different. Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention the fact that we get to go out to dinner after the event. <laughs> like It helps. <laughs> Can't do that virtually. We just sit here on a Zoom call and eat our food and stare at each other. But, you know, it's not the same. <laughs> so much staring. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what would just be just just staring really creepy and awkward. That's what I like to bring to dinners generally. sent in your questions for us about coverage and now we're going to answer them let's see how many we can get through here um has doing coverage i love this question has this doing coverage affected how you play magic do you find yourself making different game decisions based on the last game you covered or announced it has affected how i play magic but not really uh like the decisions i make um I think it's more affected the type of magic I play, uh, especially sure. like when I'm not preparing for an event. Um, I typically find myself actively seeking out different formats than the most recent thing I worked just because around a show, I'm so 
single-mindedly focused on whatever that show is about, that that is work, right? That is my job. So then when I want to have fun and relax, usually my downtime is also magic. But it's like, okay, I need I need a different limited format. I need cube. I need uh, standard if I just did modern. Like I need something that's different just for it to feel like it's not work. Um, yeah. And before playing magic, it was, okay, I'm going to play whatever I want to play. But now like I actively make sure to do something other than what I just did for work just to get that variety and feel like I am disconnecting from the job a bit. I find myself very nervous that someone will critique my play because they recognize my username. (laughs) Because I've been known to play magic and also do other things at the same time. Okay. (laughs) I love multitasking. Maybe I'm shopping. The answer is I'm probably shopping, but I like... (laughs) Maybe I'm watching something and I make it just a horrendous play or something like that. And I'm like, oh, no, (laughs) they're going to be like the person hosting the world championship just attacked into my blocker with an onboard trick or whatever. Yeah. And and I'll have people sometimes they'll tweet at me after a game. They'll be like, oh, my gosh, I just played you good games. And they're always so nice. But I'm always like, oh, wow. Did I make a huge idiot of myself in that game? The chances are high. (laughs) So that's how it's changed for me. (laughs) Just trying to play better because I don't want to get myself embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) But based like uh, this question is related to what you just said here too, Mani. Um, I wonder how much time it takes to keep up or be prepared for the coverage. Do you study ahead or is it enough with all the work that you do already for the podcast or for you, Mani, with playing uh, that you do already to be ready for the show? Uh, speaking for myself, I typically start my preparation for any given event about three weeks in advance. Um, most of the time I try to partner up with, um, a testing team, um, play games with them. Uh, sometimes I team up with multiple teams, um, in which case I can't actually offer any help because I, yeah. I'm juggling two different teams worth of information. So in that situation, I'm just an observer. Um, I, I just watch what is happening. But if I'm just testing with one team, it essentially feels like I am part of the testing process for that team. I contribute, I play matches, and uh, typically it's about three weeks in advance Um depending on how much work I'm putting into a certain show or how prepared I feel, it can be anywhere up to eight hours a day of just playing. I mean, you, um, you said it before, format. like you, this is a, you know, this is a job and you treat it yeah. like one. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say usually uh, my prep process takes about three weeks or so of full-time focusing on the format to various degrees. Yeah, and I think that when you're in you're somebody who's in the expert role or the play-by-play role, you have a lot different kind of studying that you have to do um versus somebody who's doing a news desk spot for instance or an off-floor reporter spot. So, when I was doing play-by-play, it was back in the paper days. <laughs> back in the paper days. Back in I, my day. When I still had teeth uh and <laughs> You have to be able to recognize a card like that. You have to know everything that card does like that. You have to know the interactions, why it's important, what the rest of the deck looks like, right? 
like that. You have no tools to help you other than maybe you have your laptop out and you can Google something if you need to. But um, I would spend hours and hours and hours. This I would call drafts too at the Pro Tour, which is one of my favorite things to do because I love draft. Um, and I would get an entire set of a copy of the set and I would sit and memorize literally every single word on every single card. <laughs> so I knew the creature type line. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew everything about it, power and toughness, what the activated abilities were, how much it cost. And I top to bottom and I would quiz myself even on the airplane going into the event, studying in the bathtub. That's right. Uh, I'm a bathtub studier. I admit it and I don't apologize for it. Um, <laughs> and then on the plane doing flashcards with myself. Um, so yeah, I put in a ton of time that way. But when you move into a different role, that's less important because you're not really doing that on the show as much. You have to be familiar with the decks overall, strategies overall. But more importantly, you have to know who the players are and what this event means for them and teasing out the storylines uh, around the players because people at home might not know who they are, right? So that's where my preparation has shifted uh, from event to event from you know, knowing specific cards and the intricacies of decks towards knowing more about players and uh, being able to tell the story of them. But great question. Great question. Thank you. Um, next question. I'm curious how much leeway you get on how the studio segments are structured. Are you given an outline and then you fill in the rest? Wait, great question. Um, for the most part, the, the studio segments are... Um, worked on ahead of time by the people producing the show. And Rich is one of those producers, Rich Hagen, who used to do the desk with me. And of course, famous in magic coverage. Um, he's fantastic. Taught me everything I know. Um, and uh, he'll put those together and then we'll get them. We'll study them for a couple of days before the event through rehearsals and that kind of thing. However, I will say that if we ever have any feedback or any ideas, they totally let us have input and <laughs> kind of sometimes do some really weird stuff, Monty. <laughs> Yeah, things evolve over time, right? I think one thing that we can both refer to is in this last World Championship show, we had the segment where we did the opening of Virtual Pack. Um, and something we did with that segment was the happy, sad flashcards, right? I, I don't know if this is the point you want to talk about it, but now yeah, we're talk talking about it, about it right? Let's talk about it. It's so happening. The happy, sad flashcards, right? How those started were like three days before that, you, myself, and Cedric are sitting at the desk doing our rehearsal under the camera. And me being the person I am, I'm trying to make you laugh and break. <laughs> so I've gotten two flashcards, two just tiny flashcards. I've written happy on one and sad on one. And just... At various points where it feels appropriate and I'm not going to mess with our rehearsal in some way, I'll just flash one at you. <laughs> and that that was the whole thing was just us like interacting while rehearsing, right? And at some point, Rich, who was watching us on camera, saw me doing that with the cards. And he... I don't know how it happened, but he said, all right, we're going to incorporate these into this segment. And they somehow became part of the segment. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm having fun with these. Why not? And then from there, it was like the next day, Rich is walking by our green room and he's like, 
I've got a surprise for you. You're going to love this. Follow me. <laughs> and he takes me into like the production green room, not the caster green room. And there's just two of the like production team back there working on the giant like cards that had happy or sad on them that I ended up using for the broadcast. They were making them like it. This like random thing that we were doing had just grown and became part of the show just because it made somebody laugh or it amused somebody. And that's kind of how a lot of the segments and things go is they're in there. They're roughly planned out. Obviously uh, anything like the previews and stuff, those are planned, but then we get some level of freedom to try to bring our flair to them and try to spice them up. And if it rhymes, if it works within like the tone of the show, it can make it into the final product. And if it does it, it gets cut. It gets cut. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's a, that's a great example. And if you hadn't seen, if you haven't seen the segment, everybody, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes because it is truly something to behold. <laughs> and you'll know what we were referring to. <laughs> it happened at another event when we all dressed up in, in streets of Nukapena fancy outfits at the desk. The that, alchemies. The alchemies. Thank you. Yes. That was just, uh, that started out with me saying, wouldn't it be cool if we gave like awards to cards and alchemy? And then that became the alchemies where we're dressed up to the nines. Corey's wearing huge sunglasses and clapping like this, wearing a scarf. Anyway, so yes, there is, <laughs> to answer your question, there is an outline, but uh, we were given freedom to kind of go with it when we see fit. <laughs> uh, Mani, for you, what's something people would be shocked, shocked to learn about coverage? Uh, I think the big thing is just how many people are working on a show. I I think when you look at a show, you see the people on camera, which is typically like seven to 10, um, depending on the size of the show. Those are the faces you see, but you don't see the producer. You don't see the director. You don't see all of the people behind the scenes. Uh, two giant trucks full of people and, and equipment. I like. I think something that I can pretty confidently say is the majority of people that have watched coverage in the last two years probably would not know that Rich Hagen has been involved intimately yeah. in every single show that has happened. I, I see a lot of messages and posts saying that I miss Rich Hagen. Uh, but I would say that the majority of the shows that we do, they are a direct result of Rich's vision. Uh, Absolutely. Especially on the desk, he's always running through things with us. Everything is his segments that have been mapped out with Wizards and the team that is preparing and planning the show. So the influence of Rich Hagen, you know, I can't speak to the before days, the paper days previously, but it is felt in nearly every single aspect of the show and every show that we have put out for the last two years. And I think a lot of people don't really see that because outside of the people on camera, all the other elements are faceless and nameless and the show is just happening. But a lot of the names like Rashad, uh, the people have known for magic coverage in the past are still here involved in various ways behind the scenes. And it takes a lot of people to bring one of these shows 
to the audience. Absolutely, it does. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, my answer to this question is let's I'll reiterate what Monty said. It's very true. Uh, it's also <laughs> freezing. I'll point that out. We had <laughs> we were wrapped in little blankies in this last show. <laughs> We we had a gopher who was very lovely and went and got us blankets because we were so cold. Um, it's the most diva I've ever felt was begging <laughs> for a blanket because of how cold we were. Yeah. You were a total diva, Monty. Total diva. Give me a blanket. Then he threw his drink in somebody's Please. face. You guys. Anyway. <laughs> I also just wanted to point out what a strange experience it is to do a show because of the fact that um, since I'm like kind of the kind of I'm the host of the news desk. Oh, OK, I've got to set aside my Minnesotan like <laughs> I am the host. Um, I've got somebody in my ear, which is usually rich and also director telling me, um, giving me cues as to what next segments are coming up. Uh, if, a, if a segment is ready, if I need to stretch, if we need to spend more time on a topic before we go to the next thing in my brain, I've got the entire rundown of the show kind of like seared into it. So I know what's supposed to happen when, but because brains aren't always perfect, I also write it down and I also have it on a computer. So we've got two backup systems there in case something <laughs> fails. And I'm always 100% ready if anything blows up to kind of keep the ship on a calm water. Which um, I've been part of plenty of shows where things have gone wrong and we've had to just tap dance and find our way out of it. Um, so that's always number one thing for me. But because of all of that that's going on, and of course you're freezing, you're wrapped up in your Monty Diva blanket, um, <laughs> you have to have a sense and an awareness of the of reality that is so different than normal life, right? What I'm when I'm saying words, when I'm asking you a question, very often somebody else is saying something else inside my brain. <laughs> There's a little worm and they're being like, beep, 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 remember after this, do this. That a lot of times it's kind of like an out-of-body experience, is what I what I wrote down in answer to this question, because I'm doing one thing. My brain's doing something else. My mouth is doing a third thing. And, you know, my nervous system is doing a fourth thing off in the background. <laughs> and trying to keep all of that uh, together at one time is like is like a juggler spinning plates. Um, and I'm just thankful for when the, the times they don't all come crashing down on my head. <laughs> because let me tell you, that's a, that's a tricky dance to pull off. But the more you do it, the better you feel doing it and the more relaxed you get doing it, especially when you can rely on the people that you work with. And Monty for sure is one of those people for me. Um, no matter what, when I ever ask you anything, I know you'll have a fabulous answer for me and I won't have to worry about it. There you go. Take a picture of that smile right there. <laughs> Put that on the magic billboard. <laughs> but that's something I don't think a lot of people understand is that when you're doing a show, you're not always in control of yourself in the same way that you would be with the ease of watching it happen. No, for sure. I completely agree. Just there's yeah. so much going on and it all happens at the same time. All right. One final question before we wrap up this segment. Let's say the coverage team is playing a commander game. Who do you kill first? All right. Am I, am I doing this one first? Yeah, you go first. Okay. So I would be killing Cedric first. <laughs> and I have a, I have a perfectly I good know, reason. Hold on. I know why. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So that would be what I would consider a mercy killing. Uh, Cedric, <laughs> people have no idea how busy Cedric Phillips is. Yeah. Like, even while doing coverage, Cedric is doing, like, 18 different things. So 
I would guess that while in that game of Commander, Cedric has so many other things to do that he is just looking to get out of there. So I would just do him a favor, <laughs> mercy kill him first so he can do whatever else he has to do. It, that, that would be my answer. That's a great answer. I'm al- I was also going to mercy kill somebody. <laughs> All right. I, go. I was gonna go mercy ahead. kill Marshall first because I know he doesn't want to play commander. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we work on the desk together. <laughs> Before we go, everybody, we wanted to talk about the event that just happened, which is, of course, more of what we'll have time for in our future episodes of Desk After Dark. Uh, The World Championship won by Nathan Stoyer here back in October of 2022. Mani, what are your takeaways from this big event? Well, it was our first event back in person, right? But it was still played on Arena, and I, I was really appreciative of that. Um, I think there was a lot of, you know, confusion surrounding why this event is happening on Arena while we're there in person. Why aren't we doing Paper Magic? And, you know, I think the big reason is just respect to the players. We played this entire season online on Arena, um, and we had players qualify from all over the world where... We are still in a pandemic. Different countries have different travel regulations. They have uh, different levels of comfort for different people. And COVID is still very much a thing. And having the option available to players who want to exercise it for any reason to play from home rather than come out of their comfort zone and take the risk of traveling after having played an entire year on Arena... I think was something that I really respected about the event. We have three players, Jean-Emmanuel Dupra, uh, Jan Merkel, and Yiminji, uh, that all played that all played from home rather than coming to the event. And I'm glad that option was ab- available for them. Yeah, and like also like thinking about how Wizards of the Coast has to plan these things, they didn't know what the travel restrictions were going to be, right? There might have been another variant that got everybody and took, you know, people away from being able to travel to the states or something like that too, because they have to plan this months and months and months in advance. And so that was a heads up play because how terrible would it be to do a world championship and then you can't play an event you qualified for because of your country's travel restrictions? Right, and really something I think we thankfully didn't have to uh, work with, but I think something that was really cool about the event was just how many contingency plans were in place in case uh, something went wrong health-wise. I know that for anyone that's probably watched some level of esports or competitive gaming on Twitch in the past year, uh, people get sick during Mm -hmm. uh, long events um, that can extend for weeks. And I know for this event... Uh, Wizards had multiple contingency plans, uh, laptops and full setups available that if while at the event, a player tested positive, for example, uh, they could quarantine in their room and play the event with all the equipment they would need to do so provided to them. So there was never really a point in the chain where this event could fail because of COVID reasons. And I think that was extremely good planning and also extremely considerate planning uh, as saying that 
really cap off the arena season and the arena era, I think was really cool. And it was, you know, it was nice to see it all result in the Nathan Stoyer win. Yeah. Seeing, uh, seeing Nathan Stoyer take it down was just, just so joyful, right? That's the word that I want to put to it. When you see somebody whose entire life is the game of magic, becoming the world champion at such a young age, but with so many accomplishments already under his belt, it was just a, it was a, just such a happy moment in the whole building and you could just see it on his face. Fantastic end to the tournament too. Um, uh, and great play all weekend too. I, I, we were people, one of the other questions we get, didn't have time to get to was what do you do when you're not on air? And that's watch the show <laughs> in the green room. Right. And we were all around that television watching the show with rapt attention and on so many occasions. Yeah, it, you know, we we are living the show the entire weekend. So it, I still love watching coverage. So when I'm not on camera, I watch coverage. Yeah. <laughs> and just watching the plays, watching the emotions of that weekend, watching sort of all of the buzz and the hype around a rising star in the magic scene culminate in the the most important title in the game. It, it just made the weekend that much more special. Uh, you know, throughout the arena era, one of the things that has been a constant, I would say negative note has just been the inability for younger players to compete um, in the highest level events. And unfortunately that's because of regulations and it, it just couldn't happen logistically, but seeing Nathan represent the younger side of magic players. Uh, and as we go towards paper, seeing it, just the future of magic look so bright really felt like that perfect ending note on hmm. that arena era. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, Hey, I, we've come up, you know, playing many of these younger players. I talked to them who had teamed with Stoyer and they said, you know, I've never played a paper event really, or I've only played an FNM or something, you know, like just not a lot of paper play. They just only played on arena, you know, and, uh, they're fantastic. And now we're transitioning back into paper play. What does that mean for those players? You know, that's something I'm going to be looking for. Future looks bright. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> new, new chapter in magic getting open, starting in Philadelphia in February for the pro tour there. So excited for it. <laughs> Cannot wait to get back to a paper pro tour again. Um, but what a fabulous time the world championship was. Um, it was more fun than I could have even guessed after having been locked in this cage of the pandemic for so long, not being able to work with people in person again, that it was just what a, what a joyful opportunity. And to see everybody at magic fest at magic 30 as well, uh, all like, 10,000 of them to see old friends like Brian David Marshall hanging out, uh, Mark Rosewater doing a panel, seeing how many people were interested in Commander when they were playing commands, uh, Game Nights Live in the Command Zone. I mean, it felt like it felt kind of like a, a big rebirth after having been had this weight on our shoulders for so long in the pandemic. Um, so I can only hope that that energy flows forward into, into Philly and to all the events next year as well. Um, yeah. What are you looking forward to, Monty? I I think just capturing more of exactly what you said, which is re-embracing being around 
our friends and our coworkers and just people that we care about and magic players. Uh, the magic con in Vegas felt so special because everyone there was so excited about magic and knowing that all of the pro tours uh, this upcoming year are going to be happening at magic cons. So they are going to have the community represented at large rather than, you know, pro tours in the past have been, exclusive feeling events there's 200 people in the hall 400 people in the hall and that's it they're all there for the pro tour but there's nothing happening outside of that event and now it's like it doesn't matter if your friends are part of the competitive scene or not they have a reason to attend they have a reason to be there which means they you run into so many more people. You get to see faces you haven't seen in so long. You get to diversify your group and spend time with people you haven't spent time with in a while. And it all just adds up to a really special feeling that uh, really feels unlike anything I've ever experienced in Magic. And it just makes me so excited to experience that feeling time and time again in the upcoming year. Absolutely. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the premiere episode of Desk After Dark. <laughs> Hopefully we've delivered on that name. Uh, if not, you can call us DadCast if you're feeling more <laughs> com- a little bit more cash. Uh, <laughs> we'll be living here in the Good Luck High Five feed. That's where you find us after big events and maybe uh, once or twice peppered in here or there, but it'll just pop up into your feed. So it'll be easy to find youtube.com slash good luck. High five is where you can find the video version of this and see Monty's cat cat. Who's been hanging out in his little cat post since, the, since jumping up on your desk. Look at his little feet. I mean, her little feet. So cute. Little <laughs> you can see the beans on youtube.com slash good luck. High five. Monty, um, if people want to connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zapgaze. Uh, let me know what you think of the show. Um, let both of us know what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. If there's things that you didn't enjoy, please ask us uh, questions for future shows as well as uh, you can just let me know if you've watched the broadcast, what you thought of it. I, I'm yeah. always uh, looking to hear from people as part of the community um their thoughts about what we're doing and their thoughts on coverage and everything in between absolutely what about you, I'll, maria i'll keep a running tally of any questions that anybody submits i know we didn't get a chance to get to all of them today but i've got the ones we didn't get to we'll get to them next time and we'll just keep adding on to that list so send them in <laughs> we'd love to hear from you i want to talk about what you want to hear about and i know that Monty does too Thank you so much, everybody, for hanging out with us here at Desk After Dark. Until next time, we'll keep the lights off for you. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I just thought of that. (laughs) We'll keep the lights off for you. (laughs) That was amazing. What a play. That's exactly what he needed. Is it getting hot in here or what? This is genius. He created another card on the stack. Oh, wow. He's been We're given attacking. a good game. That trophy is up for grabs. Magic does not get better than this. <laughs>